0: This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Connecticut talking about a diabolical double murder that was recorded on an answering machine. Then we'll discuss
0: a missing mother of five. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Constitution State. Technology consistently lets us down. How
1: many times have you accidentally dropped your new phone to find the screen completely shattered? I'm dealing with iPhone issues myself right now. Some people buy the latest and greatest only to be disappointed yet again. Today, I'm gonna tell you about a case from the 90s that was, believe it or not, cracked by an old-school answering machine. Of all the things to actually help solve a crime, who'd have thought? There have been a few instances of attacks being recorded on purpose. On January 27th of 2003, 32-year-old Jennifer Clemmings of Stone Mountain, Georgia was begging for her life. And in her final moments, she was able to call a friend. But the call went to voicemail. She was brutally stabbed 22 times in her own home, but the killer's voice was captured on the voice message. Unfortunately, this is still a cold case, but with this recording, hopefully one day, one day soon, it will be solved. The murder I'm about to tell you about was seemingly recorded by accident. Today, I'm going to tell you about Patricia Lynn Steller, who resided in Middletown, Connecticut. She was born in 1950 in Hoosick Falls, New York. And while she resided there, she was active with both the Little League Baseball and the Miss Softball League as a coach.
0: Miss Softball? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her hobbies included woodworking and restoring furniture. And she later moved to Middletown and was employed at the Wesleyan College in the maintenance department. Her 26-year-old nephew, Ronald King, who went by Ronnie, lived with her at her house. How old was she? She was 43. Okay. He also worked at the university, and they were both really close to their family, which kind of makes sense that he needed a place to stay, so he moved in. Well, in April of 1993, Patricia started dating a woman named Gina Cochia, at the time, Gina was an executive housekeeper at a resort hotel in Vermont. So they met because Gina had an aunt in Connecticut and this aunt was friends with Patricia. Okay. And she kind of introduced the two and sure. they hit it off. So they had a long distance thing going for a while. But that summer in August, Gina up in Vermont decided to move down to Connecticut with Patricia. Gina also took her small Pomeranian with her when she moved. Patricia's house had a doggy door, which was perfect. Ew. Ooh to the doggy door? No.
0: I think Pomeranians are not my favorite dog. Oh, my gosh. Come for me. They're, they're going to come oh in boy. the swarms. They're, I think they're
1: cutie pies. I think they're little cutie. I've never had one. I had a- they're yappy. Best friend in high school who had a couple, and they were mouthy. They're very yappy. They're so hoity-toity, though, Mm-mm. with their little legs and prance. I don't know. Anyway- Everything sounds great, but of course, something else is brewing. A couple of years prior, Gina met a woman named Janet Griffin at the resort in Vermont that she worked at. So Janet was a housekeeper and Gina was her supervisor because Gina's mm-hmm. the executive housekeeper. So they became friends. They ended up sharing an apartment together. So they're friends. They work together. They hit it off. They become roommates, and they eventually... Scissor. (laughs) They get together. Yes. They become lovers in Rutland, Vermont. Well, this relationship wasn't a great one. It wasn't anything terrible, but Janet was kind of controlling. Gina just was kind of
0: like, I'm not vibing with you. That's just, those are my words. In my mind, this is Marge Simpson's two sisters. That's who's playing these characters in my mind right now. <laughs> oh
1: lord, oh lord, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, this so is them. In June of 1992, Gina broke off the romantic relationship. So this is like the year before she
0: meets. She breaks it off. The other
1: one, yeah, she breaks it off. But it's definitely a messy. Not, not many clean. of them are. She said they could stay friends and roommates. No. Well, this wasn't a mutual breakup. Janet didn't want to break up. She didn't get why Gina wanted to break up. She loved her. She wanted to stay together. She's like, "We're great," and Gina's just kind of like, "No, we're not. not. We're it. not. We're yeah. not staying together." Well, around that same time, Gina and her dad bought a two-bedroom house in Vermont. So Gina moved out of her apartment and moved into this new house. But she told Janet that she could still be her roommate. So she moves in with dad. So, too. yeah. So it's they have to share a room. Mm, it's three's company. <laughs> it's- no. So, yeah, they're sharing a bedroom. they it's, have bunk beds? No, they did not have they bunk beds. They sleep in the same bed. I looked through all the case notes. Okay, I looked through all the case notes and did all the digging. It's probably in- This was a
0: detail that was
1: yeah, never mentioned. Not period. an important
0: detail. I'm yeah. just curious. Continue. I'm
1: sorry. I wish I knew. I wish I knew that. But I swear, I looked. You know- I looked. You know they're still cutting paper. Well, no, no, no. They had no funny business going on in the room, for real. Janet tried, but Gina was like, no, I'm not into you anymore. Gina was done. She's done. She was totally checked out, but Janet was still in love with her. So at this point, they're sharing a bedroom. Janet's still in love with her. You have to think, she's probably thinking, we're going to get back together. Sure. She said I could move in with her and stay in her room. She probably thinks she has a good shot at eventually working out. So they stay roommates for a while until Gina meets and falls in love with Patricia in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So Janet didn't know she was dating. Gina kept this on the deal. Gina wasn't telling her, "I'm dating her." So Janet thought Gina and Patricia were friends. hmm kind of like how they started out. they were friends and roommates, so she thinks they're friends and roommates. She gave her a deadline in January of 1993 and said, you've got to find a new place by June. That gives her six months. Six months, That's yeah. a pretty freaking long time to find sure. a new place. She didn't have a lease to break. Yeah. So Janet's upset. She's been living with her all this time, and now she's like, this is really over. She's moving to Connecticut. I've lost her. This is not yeah. good. Janet begged her to stay. And asked her to get back together, blah, blah, blah. And Gina was like, no, it's not happening again. We're done. She was just consistently like, no, we're done. So in May of 1993, Janet finally moved out. She moved in with a friend named Natalie Jurgen. Janet told Natalie that she's still in love with Gina. Big surprise. But she said she's going to get Gina back. It's been a year since, like, almost a year since (laughs) they've broken up. It's not happening. No. No. Well, up until this, Janet didn't realize Gina and Patricia were a thing romantically. She thought they were just friends. So Gina, these are women in their 40s. Gina set Janet down and said, we're done for sure. And I want you to know we're seeing someone else. She handles it very maturely. Mm -hmm. This is the 90s. She can't just send a text. So she's like, I wanted you to know. Janet was upset. She told Gina it was all or nothing. She would never speak to her again unless she was with her romantically.
0: I mean, if she's in love with her, it's probably pretty tough for her to differentiate. I don't agree. Uh, Yeah, Being just her friend. I can't just be your friend. I love you. I want to be with you. I can't talk to you about your relationships when I'm going home and crying in the bathtub all night.
1: I don't disagree with Janet saying that. I think at this point, why are they still trying to be friends?
0: Right. There's,
1: yeah, it's a wash. It's, it's it's a wash. Why are you trying so hard to be, I don't know. But after some time to think about it, Janet called up Gina and said, okay, I get it now, but I do want to still be friends. So she thought over it and was like, because they were friends before they were romantic. Right. Gina was happy that Janet finally came around and said, yeah, of course, let's still be friends. That's awesome. So Summer comes around. Gina moves into Patricia's with her little Pomeranian. Ew. (laughs) Patricia's nephew, Ronnie, also their roommate, so all is well for them, at least for them, those three. So Janet, on the other hand, is trash-talking Patricia, even though she's never met her yet at this point. Doesn't matter. Of course she is. We hate the new girlfriend. She called her a, and I I can't say this word, but a city slut D-word, the other bad D-word I'm not going to say. We know what it is. We know what it is. So she called her that and a lot of other things, a lot of other meh. She also told a coworker in August of 1993 that Patricia was holding Gina captive in Connecticut. Oh, shit. And ruining her life. Okay, just to make this clear, Gina's not. No. Uh, Patricia's not holding her captive. This no. is not a, that's not a thing. So Gina still has this house up in Vermont with her father. She just moved out of it. They didn't sell it. So she's not living there, but they use it as a weekend getaway. Mm-hmm. So Rutland, Vermont, is only around three hours from Middleton, Connecticut. They have Massachusetts in between them too. I'm like, man, you can really just bebop around those. It's too far states. to drive. You could just walk there. That's no. too
0: far to drive. No, I'm not doing that
1: for a weekend. What are you going to do in there? Vermont? Cabin like, in Vermont? Oh
0: my gosh, that sounds amazing to me. It's my worst nightmare. Realized. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Talk and snuggle? Uh um, fireplace. There's snow.
1: There's mountains. There's excursions. There's- Chainsaw
0: massacres. Okay.
1: Well, there's probably a bunch of Airbnbs and I don't know.
0: Quilts. I mean, it probably is amazing.
1: <laughs> it probably really is. Well, anyway, they went up to Vermont a couple of times, Gina and Patricia, to just, you know, have a little weekend away. And on these occasions – So Gina and Janet were talking some on the phone, Mm -hmm. and Gina told Janet she would be up in town. And Janet said, absolutely not. I'm not going to see you with Patricia. I don't want to be around you, blah, blah, blah. Totally makes sense to me again. Yes. But she insisted that Gina come visit her alone, not with Patricia, at her apartment. No. I get you don't want the new girlfriend at your house, but- if I'm you there, should see her pers- no. her perspective as well. Like, she doesn't – you're broken
0: up. Why?
1: If I'm there with this my girlfriend dead horse.
0: or boyfriend, whomever, for the weekend, Mm-mm. I'm not trying to reconnect with an ex.
1: Could you imagine if you're up there for the weekend with a new fling or whatever and you're like, oh, my ex that we, we just <sighs> got done living together, I'm going to go meet him at his place for a little bit. And you can't go. But Patricia was like, okay, fine. I mean, she was cool with it. So she did, and she visited her. But after this, she said, okay, I'm not going to be visiting you alone anymore. This was it. I think she probably felt bad for her. Kind of closure. Yeah. And she did it. So Gina was like, I want to be friends, but it's too complicated for me to just come to your house alone. And Janet told Gina she was unsure of what she was capable of doing under those circumstances. Meaning, like, she didn't trust herself around Patricia. Like, what are you going to do? It was just kind of ominous. Yeah. So the very next afternoon, on Oct- on Monday, October 4th, Janet and her daughter, Melody, she had a daughter, decide to go to Patricia's house for an unexpected visit. She has not even seen Patricia at this point. Wouldn't even see her in Vermont. So she's like, let's drive down to Connecticut. And take
0: my kid? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and pop in. So she told Gina they were shopping in the area and just decided to pop by for an unannounced visit. I'm like, you couldn't find a mall in Massachusetts. You're not, you're going all the way to Connecticut. Give me a break. Janet really just wanted to see the inside of Patricia's house. We can say she was just nosy at this point. Who knows? But while she was in there in the kitchen chatting with Gina, Gina told her a funny story about how once she accidentally locked herself out and she had to crawl in using the doggy door. How many doggy door situations have we had? Enough to know doggy doors
0: are scary. I I told you. And this is a Pomeranian. First case ever, first episode, I had a roommate that had a doggy door. She had two shih tzus and we locked ourselves out and I had to crawl through it. Now, at the time, I had not had children <laughs> and was about 40 pounds lighter. It was a struggle for me to get through it. I am 5'2, I and I weighed like 110 pounds. I would think it'd be pretty freaking hard to get through a doggy door. It was very hard. Like, I was like, there's no way. I can't. I mean, it wasn't made for the Pomeranian.
1: It existed before sure, the Pomeranian but was still, there. but I can't imagine. They're not, they're not for humans. I've never seen one no. where I'm
0: like, that's easy. Right. No.
1: But she was telling her about oh it, so she slipped out that information. Well, Ugh. after this first trip, Janet and her friend Natalie, Natalie Jergen, who she was living with now, made four trips to Middletown before November of
0: 1993.
1: Mm-mm. One time, she told Natalie she wanted to see where Gina and Patricia lived. She acted like she hadn't seen it before. So on this trip, she was planning to write on Patricia's car using a marker. I don't know what she was going to write. She didn't say, but she did not end up doing it. Gina and Patricia didn't know about this. So these were visits that were Mm -hmm. unknown to them. A few weeks later, she asked Natalie to go back down with her to see where Patricia worked at Wesleyan University. Yeah. They drove to the campus. Janet found Patricia's car and she took some pictures of it with a camera. Then Natalie drove Janet around the area. Nearby Patricia and Gina's home. And Janet was scribbling down notes about it in a pad. Very, ooh. This is where you start like, hey, I'm a friend helping you out by doing all this stuff. But why are we doing this again? Right. After the second trip to Connecticut, Janet told Natalie, her friend, that she planned on killing Patricia. Natalie still drove her to Middletown again in October. She told Natalie she was going to kill Patricia at a stop sign on Brush Hill Road and that Patricia was the reason behind Gina breaking up with her in the first place, which isn't true. She had already b- broken up with her. And she thought if she killed Patricia, she could get Gina back. Horrible plan, obviously. That never works. A week later, Natalie drove her down there for a fourth time. Wouldn't you be no, you can get a bus ticket. I don't care. She parked her car several blocks away from Patricia's house. She stayed in the car while Janet walked toward the house. Janet got back in the car just 15 minutes later and drove down Brush Hill Road again before returning back up to Vermont. She said that that was the road she planned on killing her on. Yeah. So she has another coworker named Gordon Lee Frunin second that went by Butch. So we're going to call him Butch. He said he would go back down to Middletown and assist. Butch was known as a meek, submissive guy. He wasn't one to take the lead, but I don't know how he got the nickname. Janet gathered a bag with a black cap, glove, and a gun. The weapon was a 100-year-old old thirty-two caliber handgun that had been given to Butch by his father. And I don't know a whole lot about guns, but from what I read... This isn't a p- very powerful gun. But Janet told Natalie she was going to use that gun to kill Patricia and to wish her luck. And then they drove to Middletown. So, Natalie didn't go with her, but she had just said, I'm going to kill her. Wish me luck. And uh, Natalie's like, hey, "Later." Bye. No, she didn't say that. But, like, girl, call the mm. – Janet planned on ambushing Patricia at the intersection on Brush Hill Road. But Patricia did not end up going through that intersection that night. Butch got nervous, didn't want to do anything else in the town, so they returned up to Vermont. Janet then asked Natalie if she would drive her back down so she could kill Patricia. Natalie said no. Oh, now you say no? Mm Mm-mm. So then she planned on picking up a rental car on November 1st. So now... On November 1st, before Patricia left for work that day with her nephew, Ronald, remember they go to work together, Uh she erased her answering machine, tape, and reset the machine for the day. This was located on the kitchen counter. So this is important to remember. When Gina left that day, she put her dog in its crate and made sure the windows and doors were locked before heading out. When Gina returned to the house later that day, around 5.30 p.m., she opened the door To a bloody scene. Both Patricia and Ronnie were lying on the kitchen floor with blood all around them. She called the police. They quickly arrived and they found Ronnie and Patricia deceased. They had each been shot and stabbed multiple times. Patricia was shot once, and Ronnie was shot three times. Turns out that Janet and Butch entered the locked house by crawling in the doggy door. I can't. Patricia and Ronnie got home from work around 3.30pm and entered the home through the garage. They went into the kitchen and found Janet and Butch waiting for them. So, Gina knew the only person who could have done something like this was Janet, Mm -hmm. but the police needed evidence. Well, guess what? It wasn't that hard to find because somehow during that attack in the kitchen, the memo function on Patricia's answering machine was activated. <gasps> and the entire murders were caught on tape, recorded completely. Isn't that just so shocking that just all of it, just all there, recorded?
0: Uh-uh. And-
1: Some people say you can listen to it online. I didn't because she begs for help. And I'm like, I just don't want to listen to that. But it was reported that you could hear Patricia yelling, no, Janet, no, no, Janet, no. The voices of Janet and Butch were both clearly heard. I mean, you could hear – it was reported you could hear the whole thing. There were four gunshots and they were both somehow still alive, but the gun was emptied. They thought that would be enough bullets. So because of this, so Janet was the one that shot and she's like, crap, I need help. So she asked Butch to grab a knife. He grabbed a butcher's knife from a knife block on the kitchen counter and handed it to Janet, who proceeded to stab them both several times. She also used a serrated paring knife and a carving knife and smashed a ceramic lamp on Patricia's head and broke a glass mason jar over Ronnie's. Janet cut her hand on the glass shards from the mason jar. They left the knives of the crime scene, but took the gun. Blood from Janet's cut hand was found on Ronnie's clothing, on the wall leading to the front door, on the carpet, on the walkway lead- leading away from the house, and in the rental car she had. So she left DNA absolutely everywhere. Not to mention Lisa Flagg, a woman who was visiting a friend in the neighborhood, saw Janet and Butch leave Patricia's house around 3.55 p.m. They left and drove to a nearby pond and threw the gun in it, but it was found, and Butch's father identified the gun as the vintage one he had given his son. Yeah. (sighs) Police paid Janet a visit at her place in Vermont, and she was cooperative and even gave them her blood for testing. That's how they were able to find out it was her blood all over the place she of course said she was innocent and not involved in anything and they asked about her hand because it was all cut up and she said oh yeah this is from a light bulb that broke at this point she did not know about the recording on the answering machine butch on the other hand broke down immediately under interrogation and confessed absolutely everything and that's how they found the gun in the pond mm plenty of evidence of course to arrest them and they went to trial Janet put in a formal plea of not guilty, but the jury found her guilty, as charged on all accounts. Janet was ultimately convicted of two counts of murder in addition to a single count of a capital felony. Although her conviction warranted a death sentence, the court showed leniency and instead sentenced Janet to life in prison without the possibility of parole in 1996. This You see this all the time with women. They often get out of the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Up until this point, neither of them had criminal records at all. So Janet was a Girl Scout leader and a mom. Butch was just this meek dude that barely had any friends. So this shocked people. Right. They were really shocked by all of this. So Gordon, a.k.a. Butch, who was 34 at the time, was also convicted for his involvement and sentenced to 30 years in prison. Janet is currently serving her life sentence behind bars at the York Correctional Institution in East Lyme, Connecticut. So, almost all my notes came from the actual court documents. And I used Cinemaholic, Middletown, Press, AP News, and Find a Grave. But that is a love triangle, alright. And
0: that's so sad that her, like, innocent nephew and he's 26 no involvement in, None. in his love triangle could give two shits
1: exactly 26 year old had the rest of his life yeah. i mean patricia's Awful. innocent too but it's like right there's no motive, motive for him there, there wasn't he was None. just there he's just there i know makes me mad wow
0: well, i hold on to that anger because
1: connecticut prison that's all my case say. is
0: gonna piss you off even more so Ugh.
1: well let's take a quick break then
0: So you said your case is going to make me mad. My case sucks. I don't need to be mad. Sorry. Okay. Jennifer Farber was born September 27th in 1968 in New York City. Her father was a banker and her mother a philanthropist. Jennifer's aunt was the famous Liz Claiborne. You may have heard of her. I know her. Worth billions, as in B. Mm Mm-hmm. So she is from a very, very wealthy family. I'd say. Jennifer graduated from Brown University in 1990 and would later earn her master's from NYU. She began writing and wrote several manuscripts for plays. Nice. In 2003, she runs in to Fotis Dulos at the airport in Aspen. She had actually gone to school with him at Brown, so they Mm. start emailing one another, kind of like starting a relationship, because he was actually married Mm. at the time. No. Yikes. He grew up in Greece, but later moved to the States when he was a kid. So, he married another Brown graduate, and they had only been married about four years, and then they divorced because he's a big fat cheater. I was about to guess that. Yes. And he and Jennifer would marry only one month after their divorce was final mm. in August of 2004.
1: So there was an overlap of yeah. likely. No,
0: no red flags. Not okay. even one. I mean, mm. so he and Jennifer are married and they moved to the burbs of Farmington, Connecticut. Ooh. Boda starts a new business that was a real estate development company that built mansions/slash luxury homes in Connecticut. Nice to start a company like this, you need mega money, and lucky for him, Jennifer's family had it. Ugh. So they go on to have five children, two sets of twins, and then two sets. Yes, Jeez. and then just a singular child, <laughs> an and just, odd one just out. an odd one Sorry. out. They move multiple times each time a home was built. They would move into it until it's sold. So they're living out of boxes. It's chaos. That There's five horrible. babies. It sounds like a fucking With nightmare. That many kids? Ooh. Little kids. Because they're all like stair-step. Yeah. No way. So in 2011, FOTUS builds their family's home.
1: Where they're going to stay. Where they're going to
0: stay. It's 10,390 feet. It's a fucking mansion. So he's working, she's raising all these babies, and she decides to write a blog. She was a writer, Mm -hmm. so she starts writing this fun little blog as a way to connect with other moms and do what she loved, writing. Right. And it was on here that the first signs of this seemingly perfect marriage and life were revealed. Oh, no. She talks to all of her friends, her blog friends, Mm -hmm. that her husband's been kind of MIA, and that he travels a lot with his buddies on private jets Mm. and takes fancy vacations and ski trips. And she's home alone raising all these kids. Like, he's gone up to 10 days a month. So, half the month he's gone. Mm, That sounds horrible. Uh, Yeah. She also talked about how he was getting more and more strict with their kids when it came to competitive sports. Especially skiing. Like, water skiing. They talked to their mom about how they were scared to disappoint their dad. Oh gosh. And she admits that she was scared to upset him too. So by the age of 10, the two oldest kids were competing in international water skiing.:
1: What in the world?:
0: Who even knew?:
1: I, I mean, I'm I guess not from a that kind of money. For every international international at 10 water years skiing old? at
0: 10 years old, so he was very he pushed them. And Max's dad and I will sometimes get into it because I feel like he pushes him uh-huh. with football and sports, but never. Not this level. No. Yeah. I mean, I get like a dad or a parent mm-hmm. pushing their child to be the best that they can. That's what parents do. Yeah. Yeah, But never to the point where Max is ever fearful. Like,
1: what if I don't win? What's he going to say? Right. Like, yeah, What's he going to do? Yeah. That's too much pressure for a
0: freaking 10-year-old. Oh. Much. I mean, even a teenager, but yes.
1: kids, little kids.
0: So Jennifer Ooh. finds out that her husband has been having an affair for over a year with a Venezuelan model. Oh, yeah. My, did she talk on the blog about that? No. Okay. I was like, that is bold. No. but oh So Fotis God. met Michelle Traconis on one of his mini ski trips. Of course. This motherfucker. I mean. So he's basically living two lives. Mm-hmm. One with her and their children and then one with this Venezuelan model. Which this ultimately causes them to separate. Mm-hmm. Fotis tells Jennifer he wants the girlfriend to move into the family home with them, that it's big enough.
1: With them? Yes.
0: Her and her daughter move in the house that he shares with his wife and five children. I cannot fucking breathe.
1: The audacity?
0: Boy. To ask that? No, 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 no. They talked about Jennifer moving to her parents in New York and the kids going to a private school in New Cannon, Connecticut, which was about 75 miles from their current home together in Farmington. Fotos would stay at the house and, you know, they're just kind of preliminary talking about how would this work when we separate, you know, to make it Mm -hmm. an easy transition for kids. I get it. They're trying to do the best. Instead... Jennifer packed their kids in a few bags in the middle of the night and leaves the house. So, clearly, she is afraid of him. Yeah. She only took the bare minimum for her and her kids. And we know he's controlling. And we also know that this is the most dangerous time for women. Yeah,
1: exactly. In these
0: kinds of marriages is the day that you leave. That's when they flip the fuck out Mm -hmm. and, you know. But she doesn't go to New York as planned. She rents a house in New Cannon. A 9,000 square foot home. This is not a duplex. This is just another mansion. Which is downsizing for them. But still. 9,000 square feet. But it's just her and the kids It's just her and the five kids. Well, I
1: mean, I guess that's a freaking lot. But still, for...
0: I mean, most cases, when a woman leaves, she's somewhat dependent on the Mm ex-husband financially. But not Jennifer. She had her own money and was more than capable of doing it on her own so Fotis is losing complete fucking control yeah he calls 911 and files a police report claiming that his children are missing to try to you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. like Instead when of he's yeah took them uh, and because i'm an asshole and yeah. left yeah. my kids are missing so anyways She files for legal divorce and an emergency order for full custody of all five children who are ages 7 to 12 at this time. Mm. The judge says, no, suck it up. You have to co-parent. Y'all need to figure this out. She claims that he threatened to kidnap the children and that if she doesn't do what he says, kill her too. That he had called Mm. her and told her this. But it's all hearsay. Yeah. Yeah. She also claims that he moved the new girlfriend and their and her daughter into their family home. The kids would also tell their mom that he bought a gun, mm. yeah, no mm-mm.
1: that's a specific time to be getting a gun if right. you do' they had oh no, gun. and they had and all and they had suddenly? talked about, yeah, yeah, they had mm-hmm. talked
0: about we're not gonna bring a gun into the home of our children, mm-hmm. which I get. Max's dad and I had that talk yeah. when he was born. Like, we don't we don't want to have a gun in this house. More accidents happen. More accidents than, happen yeah, than yeah. you need for protection. And he's not a hunter. I'm not a hunter. Mm-hmm. Whatever if you guys are, we're not coming for you guys. I, I get it. We're just not that It's type a discussion. Of home. It's a discussion for, to have when you have yeah. children. Oh, especially when you're co parenting. Right, right. So on June 3rd, 2017, he shows up enraged because she had made plans for their children. He verbally attacks and intimidates her, threatening her. And she was afraid of him. Yeah. So in her divorce affidavit, she says that he will be enraged by this. He will try to harm me as retaliation for me filing. And she knows that he wants to kill him. Mm. To kill her. He denies any of this. And the next two years, there were over 300 motions filed in the court by Jennifer and Fotis. So they're kind of going back and forth, tit for tat. It's what a, a mess. fucking nightmare.
1: A world's mess. Yes, yes.
0: Lord. So Fotis owed Jennifer's parents nearly $2 million for the loans they had given him to start his business. Her mother decided to sue him for the money. Like, you need to pay us back. You're not with my daughter anymore. You're not have anything to do with this family. You need to pay us back, which makes him light his hair on fire. Mm -hmm. So he hires an attorney, Kent McKinney. So in March of 2018, Jennifer is awarded full custody of their children after the judge finds out that he took the kids around the girlfriend and then told the kids to lie to their mother. Mm -hmm. This was directly against the judge's orders. So, now all he has is supervised visitation with okay. his kids. Wow. So, everything in his life is starting to yeah. fray yeah. and crumble. He's being sued. His wife has left him filing for divorce. Now he's lost custody of his kids.
1: That's they scary. He
0: can't pay back this yeah. money. Ooh. So, it's just
1: its like it's he's a, ticking a ticking time. time
0: exactly. Oh, so, on May 24th, 2019, Jennifer takes the kids to school and is home a little after 8 a.m., She had a doctor's appointment and a dentist appointment that day in New York City, but she misses them both. Mm. At 7 p.m., she is reported missing by her housekeeper. She said she got to the house and Jennifer's Range Rover was still there, but her suburban was gone. Police start investigating, searching the house and find blood splatter in the garage and some other evidence. It appeared that someone had tried to clean up something. So her suburban would later be found abandoned in a park, still running. Clothes and sponges with her blood on them were found in random trash cans in Hartford, Connecticut, and CCTV captures a man matching photos and a woman in the passenger seat who appeared to be Michelle, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Inside the bags were zip ties, duct tape, ponchos, and clothing matching what Jennifer was last seen wearing. Fotis and Michelle were arrested in June of 2019 for tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. They both pled not guilty, but Jennifer's still missing. Like, there is nobody. Mm -hmm. There's no murder weapon and nothing to prove that Fotis murdered her. His attorney paints this whole gone girl scenario that oh she was on antidepressants and she had wrote a novel that hadn't been published or a book because she was a writer about a situation like this and this is all this was is she was just promoting gone. a book no she was just gone like oh, okay. she had wrote in her book but I'm a mother and i I don't know any mother that would leave their five children behind to get back at an ex after
1: all this of her trying to get it's not like no yeah she's gone through so much to get custody she's not gonna right
0: jeopardize that so in september of 2019 they are arrested again fotis and michelle for the same charges in january of 2020 fotis was officially charged with jennifer's murder capital murder murder, and kidnapping. But he posted a $6 million bond and was released. (sighs) This is what they believed happened to Jennifer. Fotis drove an employee's truck to a reserve near her home. He had taken a bike with him and rode the bike to her house. When he returned, she pulled into the garage and closed the door. Fotis slipped in behind her under the garage door, Tied her up with his zip ties, stabbed her, and in an attempt to clean the mess, uses tons and tons of all these paper towels, which are found in the bags. He loads her body in the bike into the back of her Suburban and drives back to the reserve and leaves it running while he loads her and the bike up in the back of this truck that he borrowed from an employee and leaves. So, there's a gun club that Fotis's attorney belonged to. And six days before her disappearance, two people were walking along the property behind the club and found a two foot wide, six foot long, and three foot deep hole oh, no. that had two bags of lime in it, which is very suspect. Yeah. They went back a few days later and the bags were gone, but the hole was still there. This is a grave. I mean.
1: Wait, did you say lie? Or lime, Lime.
0: okay, lime. It is also found out that Fotis had been contacting his attorney Kent's soon-to-be ex-wife right before this, trying to get her to meet up with him. And she was like, he was his attorney was in the middle of a tumultuous divorce at the same time. Fotis was. So, Fotis calls his soon-to-be ex-wife and is like, can you come meet me? And she's like, I don't Why? fucking know you. Why would I meet you? Absolutely not. No. So, it kind of seems like they're planning something. No?
1: Why would he call her?
0: Unless there's – I mean, saying, I'm just saying. I'm strictly speculating, but – So, we don't know. We don't know, but it's like two bags of lime. Mm-hmm. Two men who are going through very awful divorces. <sighs> her – Like maybe, okay. Yes. Like maybe Fotis was trying to get her to meet him with an ulterior motive of schmurder and vice versa with Fotis's ex-wife. Authorities find a wadded up paper full of alibis at Fotis's (gasps) house. What? Like they were practicing what to tell the police. Like, writing it out. Michelle said she did this after her attorney told her to, so maybe it would jog her memory. No, you just wrote out a fucking alibi. Shut up. Mm -mm. So you keep your story straight. Yeah, bye. Her attorney was also Kent McKinney, whose name is mentioned multiple times on this piece of paper. Like, why are you writing his name down? So he had to be involved in some way. strange. So police meet with Michelle... But she isn't home with him anymore. She has gone because he was arrested. So she moved out of the house. And they tell her, you know Fotis has another girlfriend besides you. And her name is Anna. And she's like, what the fuck? Yeah. His other girlfriend is the one who posted the $6 million. Oh, that's sneaky.
1: Mm -hmm. And, of course, she's believing it because he's a big, fat cheater. Right,
0: right. So, now, she knows he's a cheater, like she didn't before. He cheated on his wife with you. So, she changes her story. She says she wasn't there the night before Jennifer's disappearance. And she also tells the police that she helped him clean up the co-worker's vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, now you've, like, helped destroy evidence. Yeah. So, in January of 2020, Fotis learns that his bond is being revoked due to the property Put up for his $6 million bond being his girlfriend and not his. So at this point, he is staying with Anna, the new girlfriend. And he's got a court date, an emergency court hearing that afternoon. So he tells her, why don't you run out and run some errands? I'm going to drive myself to the court.
1: But right. he doesn't show
0: up for his hearing. He has a GPS tracker on his ankle at this point, And they see that he's still at the house. So they call the police and have them go to his residence because he failed to show up at court and they find him in his car with a hose running from the tailpipe. No. He had pictures of his kids around him and had left a suicide note basically saying he had nothing to do with this, but he'd rather die than spend one day in jail for something that he did not do. He also said that Michelle and his attorney Kent were completely innocent That they had nothing to do with Jennifer's disappearance. He would Mm -hmm. die two days later at Jacoby Medical Center in the Bronx. He was 51. And his five children did come and see him before he passed away and said their final goodbyes. Wow. Wow. Michelle, yeah. Oh my God, they've lost their mother, the one who (sighs) was their, their constant. Like she was always there, she raised them. Had their dad was always gone.
1: That is so sad. And, and now
0: they've lost everybody. So Michelle Traconis and his attorney Kent McKinney are still set to stand trial later this year, 2022, for the conspiracy to commit murder and other charges. Jennifer's body has never been found. Really? Michelle's family swears they had no idea that any of this was going on. And Michelle didn't either. <sighs> and we know that Fotis is a lying, cheating bastard. Yeah. First his wife yeah. with Jennifer. Then Jennifer, he cheated on her with Michelle. And then cheated on Michelle with Anna.
1: Wait, he really was cheating on her with someone
0: named Anna? I thought they yes. were making that no. up. no. Oh my no. gosh. She's the one that put the money up the six oh, million dollar bond i thought they were making that no up. and to when get no he really was cheating on Holy her crap. with this woman named anna who had all this money because i was like that's so smart because that's a believable no. lie Nothing no was doing he that. was really cheating and when they found out that it wasn't his property that was put up for bond mm. that's when they revoked it and he was going to go to jail and that's oh when he committed He's... suicide Oof. he it's like his ride ran out And he was about to be screwed, so he committed suicide. Wow, 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 wow. So, there's a new bill known as Jennifer's Law in the state of Connecticut that protects domestic violence victims subjected to manipulative and isolating conduct that traps them in abusive Mm -hmm. relationships. This bill wants to expand the term domestic violence. To include emotional or other types of abuse, not just physical. And I really hope this passes because domestic abuse, any kind of abuse, doesn't always have to be physical. No, you can scream in somebody's face and lock them in a room, and that's abuse. You never touch them, yeah, yeah. but still, that's there should be stricter laws. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying.
1: No, I agree.
0: Jennifer's five children are being raised by their grandmother in New York City, and are said to be thriving so
1: good i've gone through so much
0: uh yeah so there are 92 podcasts about jennifer doulos check them out i listened to about 92 of them i haven't heard about this um there's also a beyond the headlines movie lifetime movie on hulu where Annabeth Gish plays Jennifer Dulos. Uh-huh. There's 48 Hours wow. and a Dateline special about this, and we will put up all yeah. the pictures. And she's gorgeous. This is little tiny petite thing, loving mother of five. Her friends just raved about. She was brilliant. She was so smart and educated, and yeah, she just wanted her. That's, husband and, and home and children and love and turn into a fucking nightmare. A nightmare yeah yeah so anyways y'all can uh watch that movie it's really good and yeah. i mean it's fucking awful but it's yeah. it's done well and uh the 48 hours in dateline and like i said literally a million podcasts about her story and Mm. I hope they find her body so yeah, there's I, some type of closure. And then he fucking killed himself. That infuriates me. So no answers, nothing. At least say where she is, no. so these kids no. can. Right, that's their have mother. Closure. I, mm. He doesn't give a shit about his kids, no. or why would no. he?
1: It's all kill their serving.
0: mother. No. Mm-mm. So, anyways, maybe when they go to court, if because it's still all at you know up it's in the still air. In, yeah. We don't know that. Kent, his attorney, had anything to do with it, we or Michelle that. even knew. We don't know any of that.
1: We'll have to stay. So tuned we'll on have that. to
0: figure. You know, we'll stay tuned and update you guys. So,
1: anyways, we're well, probably gonna have to do an update episode soon. We've had so many. I know. We really have. Lady from the Dunes I has saw been that. identified. I posted that article, and then the girls on the track. The girls on the track. Yep. That I mean, we have all the, I mean, a lot of these are still kind of going on. Sure. So maybe we should wait a minute, but there's so much stuff happening right now. Mm-mm. But we have some new patrons. Awesome. Angela M. from Massachusetts. Hi, Michelle. Did I say Michelle? Yeah, you're still thinking of Michelle. I
0: am. I am. The
1: Massachusetts three off Angela. Angela, I'm sorry. It's been a long week. And I have a kidney stone She's still got Sharon Stone So Angela, I really want to pronounce your city's name But I don't want to give away your information But just know I'm thinking of its pronunciation in my head Wait, no one butchers
0: a name like Lacey I know, she probably is like, thank God she's not saying Well, it. I called her by the wrong damn name, so Sorry, Angela <laughs> Pick your poison.
1: Pick your poison. And we also have Zan B from Pennsylvania. Oh, fun. Yeah, Zan, I love your name. So yeah, thank you. We got some Northeast love this week. I hope you liked our Northeast episode. Well, like, you know, you know what I mean. Not we like. brought it. We brought it with Connecticut. We oof, That was rough. So I'm a little behind on sending out stickers. I promise I'm gonna get them out. Eat I have your, your life names. together. I gotta get my life together first. Uh and if someone knows of a free intern, we – no, I'm just kidding. I'm not. Y'all need a living wage. We just don't have one to give. <laughs> <laughs> we also we need, a li- no. need a living wage. But, oh, and our patron, Tammy G., who's also my sister-in-law, bought us some cocktails for my birthday. <gasps> Thanks, Tammy. Her, well, Her birthday's also on the 11th, so I do want to wish Tammy a happy birthday, too. Um, My coworker
0: and friend, Danielle – her birthday is also on the 11th. Oh, nice. So I know a lot of November, November
1: 11 11 Yeah. Well, we'll
0: have to have a special cocktail for Lacey's birthday and post some pictures of it.
1: Yeah. It'll be one that someone else makes for me. <laughs>
0: yes. We're not doing any work.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I have a black eye, so I'm not doing my, she, um, she does um, have my a black eye
0: things until. That's why she was MIA today.
1: I will talk about that more on Wacky Wednesday. So. Yes.
0: Until then,
1: I'm going to leave it mysterious. Where are we next week? I don't know. It's New Mexico. Again. Do you have a list? I do. Okay.
0: Well, I've I send it the to list. you. I will not send it again.
1: I well, the list. She's you gave like, oh, me
0: oh, before oh, look. didn't
1: have Connecticut on it, so I was <laughs> like, what? I'll send it to you. Okay. New
0: Mexico. Okay.
1: New Mexico. We're coming. Coming for you. For you. We're zooming all the way across We're the map. In and real fast because this is going to be my. Well, no. This has been my Freaky Friday. I've already posted. This is the future. Barbarian. The Barbarian. Girl. That was a freaking good movie. I told you. I'm I glad watched it. I didn't Google what I don't I didn't know what it was about. I had I no seen idea the little bits of like the trailer, but they don't really tell you much in the trailer. I would recommend going into it blind because yes. I had no idea what don't it was. Don't look at the trailer. And I'm like, what is this? And I what I thought was going to happen Listen. didn't happen. And can I have an observation? Bill Skarsgård is the taller, spooky Swedish version of Harry Styles. That's, my, that's what I'm saying. He's a cutie pie.
0: Lacey's eyes black. She's not seeing correctly. Can't see. <laughs> <laughs> he was great in the movie. He was yeah. great in this movie. He's a cutie pie. I, I, I thought he was going to be something other than what he was. Does that make sense? I don't want to I tell was, too much. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. I was little about him, and then I was like, yeah, about I was, him.
1: Yeah, there were some surprises. And Justin Long's <sighs> character, I won't give anything away, but.
0: Ma'am. That was a good it movie. It was great. I yeah. wish I would have watched it in the movie theater. It's streaming on HBO Max, P.S. Yeah, watch it. I had, So good. No kids. No kids. I
1: had zero. I never think scary movies are going to be that good. Jump but scares.
0: Good, jump and scares, surprising. anxiety, kind of funny. Hands were parts. sweating.
1: Justin Long's character kind yeah. of funny. Yeah, added some comedic
0: relief. So good. Watch it. I'm telling Do you. Do it. Do it. I, I watched know. it Friday night. I wish I could just talk about it, but I'm I not. I texted the group and was like, "When you said that, I was thirty like, minutes in on Barbarian, and I've got all the emotions. I'm sweating. I was shocked. When you My said face that. is hot. I I don't know what I'm. Jump scared already. Knees are heavy. I'm yes. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah. And I'm screaming at the TV like, what are you doing? Don't do that. What are you fucking doing? I'm glad Max. Max had gone to the football game with his buddy. So I will skip
1: ahead a second. We're almost done anyway. But if this isn't really a spoiler, but I'm just saying if I saw what was seen I wouldn't
0: ever go back down. I'm out.
1: Peace. I'm, I'm running sorry. out of town. I'm getting in no, my car and leaving at that I don't that give very a shit moment.
0: who is down there that needs help. I will go get help and tell them where you're at. We. I can't help if I'm dead, too. There's a zero
1: okay? percent chance I no. would have
0: done what was done. There's a zero. That's what I I'm saying. Like, That's why I was screaming at the TV. I was, too. I'm like, what? why? 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 First why? of all, mm. Lacey and I would not be in that situation. No. I'd be like, I'm out. Peace. First first sign of, of trouble. <sighs> Which is in the first 10 minutes, I'm out. No. Um, We're not doing this. And then. That, I'm going to spoil it. Yeah, we got to shut, shut it down. we got to shut so it down. It's so hard to
1: talk about. But I'm like, there's so many things I wouldn't have done. This was
0: the best scary movie I've seen in, in a very, very long time. It is. So good. Just don't read anything about it before you see it. Go blind. Just go in blind. It's so good. No kids. Don't put your, Don't let your oh, kids watch don't it. Let your kid don't watch let your kids it. watch it.
1: Ooh, but anyway. Anyways, we'll be back next week. With, with New
0: Mexico. Yes. Bye. Goodbye.